0: Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming at KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts, and now at WMBR, the MIT radio station in Cambridge, Massachusetts. This is Nick Richard. Today we talk with Karen Whitaker, Deputy Executive Director of the League of American Bicyclists. Karen reports back on the recent Bike Summit with Galen Mook, the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition and co-host of Bike Talk.
1: Karen, thank you so much for joining us here on Bike Talk and good to see you again considering we were just together at the National Bike Summit down in D.C. But um, yeah, how, how have things gone and Uh, I know we're going to talk about climate and bikes in a second, but do you want to give a quick recap on how the Bike Summit went?
2: Sure. We had a great Bike Summit. We had about 200 people in person. We had another 500, 600 people um, online, attending virtually. So tried to meet folks in both cases, and I think it went really well. There was a lot of um, energy for the in-person piece, which was so great to see and be part of after a couple of years of being away. And we had a really good... um, Hill Day at the end of the day, where everyone goes and visits with their members of Congress. And so I heard uh, great things back, both from the people who are lobbying and from the staff who were lobbied. So hopefully we'll get some more money for biking and walking in the the budget process.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, And so I was down there in person um, and doing some virtual stuff uh, for Mass Bike. And we had, I think because we were able to do virtual, we had about 23 or so uh, participants from Massachusetts. So we're grateful that the league hosts this every year as a way for the advocates to kind of, you know, come together, convene and kind of feed off each other's energy. And we are, uh, we're booming right now. There's lots of excitement. So I'm I'm really appreciative for your work. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the federal legislation. Um, We are coming off of some pretty good successes with the infrastructure law, the bipartisan work that was happening. Seems that we got some good wins, everything that we were asking for in terms of, biking and walking, funding, and some policies and some mechanisms. Um, so so great work there. But one thing that I've noticed, and I think we are all kind of feeling, is that the provisions that would have dealt with uh, climate, um, provisions that would have dealt with particular uh, equity, um, which was going to be in the Build Back Better bill, federally got stalled. So one thing I want to bring up today, and maybe I can just kick it back to you, is how can bike advocates who have some wins with the infrastructure conversation start to think about how we can use our energies and our efforts to really focus on the things that were missed in the infrastructure law, namely around climate resiliency.
2: Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought that up because we did hear from Representative Blumenauer that some of those climate programs may be coming up again this year. And so we definitely have an opportunity, both on some of the infrastructure pieces, but also in terms of getting a rebate on electric bikes and e-bikes. And I know that was something that really just captured a lot of, of energy from our community.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are actually uh, not to go too much into Massachusetts, but we're actually putting out a bill statewide, which would match that. And everybody's kind of asking, Hey, what's happening federally? Is one need to come first or how it's going to work? And so my answer has always been just, you know, cause I saw how things got stalled in Washington, just push forward what we can push forward knowing that like, you know, we'll we'll have to work it out when we get to the state and federal side of things. But can you can you go into a little bit of uh, like some certain provisions? Maybe it's the e bike rebate or things that transportation directly has overlap in that we can focus on climate.
2: Yeah. So um, there's a number of things. So there was the e bike benefit, or and what I will say is the things that we were fighting for and build back better would have passed if the whole bill had passed. That there was, we did have some fights around the e-bike piece in particular, but there's a bicycle commuter benefit that we're still working on. There was a neighborhood equity and access program that would have funded um, more of that reconnecting communities work in defining a reconnected community as having access biking and walking and would have also sort of funded some of those uh, larger active transportation networks projects. There was also um, an affordable housing transportation program, which was mostly focused around transit. But we know that when you build transit oriented development, it's also biking and walking oriented development.
1: Yeah, that's a good point too of the overlap of bike advocacy as it comes into equity, climate, neighborhood redevelopment, um, you know, tackling systemic racism, et cetera. And this has been a really awesome uh, I should say, development of the bike advocacy movement in the past, I don't know three, four, five years. Um, and I, I want to give credit to the league for helping steer some of the conversations and making sure that the overlap exists because when I first started this work, um you know, not even with mass bike, but even before, you know we had our our lane um pun intended that we were mm-hmm. kind of expected to stay in, and bikers were fighting for the bike lanes. um and the housing people were fighting for the housing. and Uh, the social justice people were fighting for social justice. But now I see a lot of kind of melding of all those arguments. I wonder if you could speak a little bit to what you're seeing on a national level of some of the overlap and maybe some things that we as statewide or even local advocates can start to pay attention to.
2: Yeah. So I think we've learned that if we're only fighting, if it's only bike advocates fighting for bikes, we're not necessarily going to win or only active transportation and so, we need to bring allies in, and to be to get allies, you need to be an ally, and that's what I think we we've, we've seen the connections. Just as a country, I think we're we're starting to open up a little bit more on those things. So, we've been working more with housing advocates. It helps them help us when we need them. And I think when we're talking about climate, that's a relationship we still really need to build. We need to um, help educate. Uh, climate advocates, climate organizations on the benefits of biking and e-bikes and all that. But then we also need to think about how do we build that relationship with them? Are there other places where we can help with their goals?
1: Yeah, I I have two follow-ups from that. But my first would be, do you have any organizations or, um, you know, top of mind shout outs that you can give regarding the climate advocacy community?
2: Yeah, I think we've seen a lot more, particularly from NRDC, in thinking beyond just we need to electrify cars, thinking more about land use and biking and walking and building communities that are more on a people scale than on a car scale.
1: Uh, So NRDC, um, what does that stand for? I should know.
2: Uh, National Resources Defense Council.
1: Of course. So obviously this is something that I should know because the biking world needs to overlap with NRDC. Um, What are some issues that we should be particularly leaning into that might have some climate overlap?
2: Doing some of the climate justice work is helpful. I think thinking about resiliency and our role in that is helpful. One of the asks we had for the National Bike Summit this year was to get funding for a program called um, Healthy Streets, which would help address urban heat island effects and flooding in low-income communities and communities of color. So it would allow them to use more porous soil, more porous surfaces on particularly walkways when it where it floods, but also um, lighter color, even just painting streets, doing green roofs, things like that, particularly around transit stops and walkways.
1: Yeah, that was cool um, to be able to have that Ask at this year's um, Lobby Day, because at least for the Massachusetts delegation, they really appreciated that we were focusing on the, how do you even put it? Almost on like the individual human dignity that can come from a streetscape and urban development. And, you know, it's not about a bike lane. It's not about necessarily biking as a commuter, but it really is about how do you feel? Do you feel safe? Do you feel welcome? Do you feel um, encouraged? And there's little things, just like you're saying, making sure that there's no puddles, Um, in the pavement and making sure that there's shade trees that can really, uh, you know, just bring people and community together. I'm curious two things. One is the history of overlap between climate advocacy and biking. And I'm thinking about to, before my time, but the first oil crisis of the 70s, how that overlapped with the biking boom. And then my second tag onto that is are we seeing something similar now? And maybe it's the gas prices, or maybe it's the fact that climate crisis is actually more apparent. But um, we are seeing movement, at least Massachusetts-wide, about dealing with climate um, very strongly. Um, so I'm wondering how the history of the movement and then where that comes to today.
2: Yeah, so we definitely saw a big jump in interest in the 70s. And it's in fact in the 70s when places like Copenhagen Um, And Amsterdam really got serious about adding bicycling in because of of the oil crisis at the time. So we've, we've seen it done in other places. I would also say we saw a big bike boom in 2008, 2009, around the recession, where you had both the recession and an increase in oil prices. This time we are seeing a lot of interest in climate and thinking about that. We still have to wait to see what happens with the bike boom because while we do see gas prices going up, you know we're not seeing the same recession that we were seeing in 2009. We'll be interested to see sort of which factor affects the bike boom, but we're also coming out of COVID where there was a big bike boom. So if if we be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I hope
1: that the climate argument is a little bit more sustainable than just, you know, how much money is in my pocketbook, because it really is where we're gonna be in a generation or two, Um, not necessarily my next paycheck. But I understand that people definitely think um, with their wallets.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the things um, that's been frustrating is really the focus on electric cars Mm -hmm. and that the way to address climate is through electric cars, and if we can do that, will be done. And, you know, we see that a lot even coming out of the White House. There's a real focus on electric cars. And that does make a difference. But there's also, I think, a role for increasing uh, biking and walking, but specifically with e-bikes, which is sort of a new change we've seen because it extends the length of the trip. It extends um, or it gets rid of some of that concern about showing up all sweaty. uh, People feel safer on e-bikes. So that's, something where we are seeing some movement. I think we would have gotten a benefit if the Build Back Better had passed. But it also, that debate also opened the weakness of we haven't quite brought the climate coalition along with us on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and I am grateful for your work down in Washington to kind of build a better coalition of, of partners so that we can make these great strides.
2: Well, thank you. But it goes both ways. We learn from from what you're doing and what other folks at the state and local level are doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, one thing I've learned at this role is that it's not one or the other. It's really both in tandem. And we have our different strata that we work on. And its influence both goes up and down. Um, and one thing I always like to say is kind of like a, a nod to former speaker Tip O'Neill. He said, all politics is local. And I always like say, well, all biking is local. But mm-hmm. yet... The policies, the funding, the mechanisms, they all happen at a 35,000-foot view, some federal, some state, and but really when they make a difference is with the individual rider. Absolutely. Cool. Oh, Anything else to add, Karen, while we still have you?
2: Just to keep watching, we may see the climate work come back up, and so we really need to be ready to help out with that. Cool.
1: Well, count us in as allies in the climate movement, too. I think a lot of our listeners here, both in Florence and at MIT and out on the West Coast, uh, we are honestly seeing the uh, the outcomes of poor climate policy for the past, you know, decades and decades. So whatever we can do to kind of overlap our messages is very pertinent. Great. Cool. Well, Karen Whitaker, the uh, Deputy Executive Director for the League of American Bicyclists, doing the nationwide work and working on the federal level. Thank you so much for coming into Bike Talk.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Now we have Emily Stein, President of the Safe Roads Alliance, to tell us about their Global Road Safety Week Relay across Massachusetts.
3: Yes, Thank you so much for having me on. We're a small nonprofit based in Massachusetts, and we we work really closely with Galen and Massbike and Walk Boston and other groups who are part of the Massachusetts Vision Zero Coalition. And um what we found is when multiple groups and multiple agencies Uh, advocates, state workers, town and city leaders, when they all work together around an issue like road safety, there is such a greater chance of change happening. So this is our very first event. We're really excited about it and we are not starting small. (laughs) Um, My colleague Jillian Kaplan connected with a a group in in the UK who last May for Global Road Safety Week he ran across the entire country to raise awareness around road safety and you know the tragic number of deaths they were seeing on the roads there post-pandemic, mostly due to speeding. So this May, we're joining forces with this team in the UK. They're running across their country, and we are running a similar width across the state of Massachusetts. But what we wanted to do was open it up to... People who are walking, who are biking, running, rolling—however you want to um, participate in this relay. Uh, what we what we did was we, um, with the help of, of many people and us, you know, hitting the pavement to make sure these routes were safe. We developed a route that starts in Lennox, Massachusetts, right at Tanglewood, and it goes all the way. I think it's 158 miles um, all the way to Boston, and. What we tried to do, we split it into legs that are about five to six miles each. It's a virtual relay, so in that way, people can ride or, or run or walk at their, at their own time um, during the week. So the week of global road safety is May 15th to May 22nd. And we have an opening ceremony in Lenox on the 15th and a closing ceremony um, on that last leg from Cambridge to Boston on Sunday, May twenty second, and all the legs in between, as I said, can be done at anybody's anybody's leisure. You know, people can form teams and cycle together, or walk or run together. It's also a fundraiser, and this is where I'm really excited because you know half of the money will go to Safe Roads Alliance for some of the traffic safety programs we are doing. Mostly, um, one called Kids Speaking Up for Road Safety, where we go into the schools and um, help kids, you know, learn some. Some empowering language so if they are a passenger in a car they can learn to speak up in a respectful way if they feel the is not being safe but half the funds are going back into micro grants it's going to be administered by america walks and they have this long-standing community change grant program and these micro grants can go into any massachusetts town or city who applies for this grant and it can be used towards any traffic calming measure uh, any tactical urbanism that the town you know might have been dreaming of it can also go into any type of education you know so these are these are things that can benefit in a small way but we wanted to keep the money local and we hope that that will also inspire towns and cities across the state to also participate in our event
4: just
0: to remind listeners, you're listening to Bike Talk, and we are streaming out of Los Angeles and Massachusetts and two different radio stations now uh, in Florence and MIT's radio station in Cambridge. So we're going back and forth between LA content and Massachusetts content. In a minute, we'll have an interview with someone who started a messenger group called uh, Crank Hustle in Los Angeles. But right now we're talking to Emily Stein, president of Road Safety Alliance. How long has Road Safety Alliance been around?
3: Well, so it's actually Safe Roads Alliance. And um, I know there's so many road safety, safe roads. Um, I find that's uh, that's the most most common words on my work computer. We were founded in 2006. And we have a program called the Parent Supervised Driving Program, which is a free resource for Parents of, and, and guardians of teen drivers, right when they get their license. Sorry, when they get their permit. And that's been around for 10 years. And I've been with Safe Roads for the last six years.
0: Okay. And so you talked about teaching kids the language about road safety and being able to speak up as a passenger. And on your website, I also see on a banner here it's crash, not accident. How important is language?
3: It's so important. You know, the previous president of Safe Roads, Jeff Larson, brought this to my attention several years ago and I never really thought about it. You know, it's a car accident. That's that's the common vernacular that we that we most of us use. But when you think about it, if, if someone is texting on their phone and hits a, a vulnerable road user or someone crossing the street in front of them or another car. Was that really an accident if they knew the risk involved? Um, same with drunk driving, aggressive driving, if someone's speeding. Um, it's not really a true accident because um, it's a known risk to them, and they made that choice. So true well, accident would be a tree falling on on a car in a lightning storm. Um, black ice can be another form of a true accident. but um, Also, you know, road, they, road design. Road design, you know, I hadn't really thought of that, but, um, right, I mean, road design plays a huge role in, in why crashes are happening, but those, these are preventable, like, the that should prevent these crashes, um, yeah. and I think why it's important is some people, especially insurance companies, they want you to think that, hey, accidents happen, get good coverage, and, and you'll be okay, But if we changed the way we thought of it and changed the language that we use and said, no, these are crashes, these are wrecks, these are collisions that are almost entirely preventable if you follow the rules of the road, if if the roads were designed in a better way, if you're not driving these mega trucks (laughs) around and and threatening, you know, other other people you share the road with, these crashes are preventable. And we would see a, a big dip in the fatality and injury rates. There's actually a linguist, I think out in California who did a study with, with her students around sentencing. And if you use the word crash versus accident, how would the sentencing be different? When we use the word accident, it's well, that's the, that's the cost of driving on the road these days every now and then you get in an accident where I think if we, if we change the word to a crash and it's more an, it's, it's an objective word, people might start to think about the causation behind oh my God, I I just caused a crash and hurt someone because I looked down at my phone for a second.
0: Yeah, and I know it's hard for everyone. You got your phone and you're driving and the temptation's there. I I think it's really important what you're saying. I want to almost talk about it once an episode at
3: least. If you are, this is something that the Vision Zero Coalition really focused on. It's everybody's a pedestrian. A lot of people are also drivers. And I think if everybody also... Hopped on their bike, and you you understand the vulnerability of of, of riding with these big cars. Um, and I think if, if more people respected, you know, understood each mode of transportation and respected, they would have respected a little more or a lot more. Um, so I think that's something that Safe Roads has um, gotten into more since since joining the coalition and working with the other advocacy groups um, to see how. How we can all just understand that we are we are all people just trying to get from point A to point B.
0: Okay, thank you, Emily. Emily Stein, president of Safe Roads Alliance. And the coalition is Safe Roads Alliance that you're referring to?
3: So the coalition is the Massachusetts Vision Zero Coalition. Okay. And, um, yeah, I can send you links to that, and I'm happy to send you a link to our event as well if anybody wants to. To sign up and join us in May. you can either get the link on saferoadsalliance.org that's our website or you can go to run signup.com and type in joining forces for safer roads and you'll be able to find it on there
0: all right thank you emily so much for coming on today
3: okay thanks so much for having me
0: that was emily stein president of safe roads alliance on the Global Road Safety Week Relay. Now we have William Cervantes, AKA Wilser, a Los Angeles food delivery worker who started Crank Hustle. Crank Hustle is a community that supports food delivery workers, helping them get started, supporting them with tips, sometimes getting them out of their cars and on bikes. Wilser's joined by Ali Lexa, the web director of our host KPFK, when he's not delivering by e-bike in Los
4: Angeles, Crankle. Well, I started doing deliveries for a while, and uh, I've noticed that you know when we do deliveries, we're just kind of on our own all day. We're independent contractors and pretty much riding solo. I wanted to start a community of us where you know we could kind of just uh, help each other out, talk to each other, you know, just and um, anything really, um, kind of debrief, kind of like let's let us let it talk to each other about the rough days or things that worked or. So they kind of started like like that and and I would mention it on on my youtube channel and uh slowly people started kind of joining the group and uh the community grew and that's basically what Crank hutle is It's just like a community of people like helping each other out and uh you know sh- sharing their tips and their experiences and things like that. Another thing from Crank hutle is I also create things to make the job easier like you know there's a lot of uh a lot of obstacles that we go through while carrying food like carrying drinks, carrying suits carrying ramen carrying like or large amount of things. So it's like just a collaboration of everyone's ideas and trial and errors and for us to kind of help each other to make this job easier.
0: So I uh, found out about you and Crank Hustle through Ali Lexa who I know from KPFK. Ali, yeah. you're making money from Crank Hustle.
4: Yeah,
5: absolutely. When the pandemic hit, I got cut to half time and I needed to find ways to uh, up, you know supplement my income. And I was doing a couple of different things, mainly doing delivery with a car. And I had a motorbike, so I was experimenting with doing deliveries of my motorbike, uh, kind of going back and forth between the car and the bike. And it's kind of like Wilster said, you're really on your own out there. I mean, you're in your vehicle by yourself. You run into other um, delivery people, but for the most part, they're not really interested in talking because they're busy picking up or dropping off their stuff. So you can glean a little bit of information here and there. And I just, you know, I was searching in a, I was in a couple of uh, Facebook groups for food delivery for car drivers and uh, really started looking for anything about people on two wheels. And I found Wilster's group through their group and reading and finding what the other people do. I, I moved away from doing it on a motorbike and now I'm on an e-bike and I found the e-bike to be for my area and my city, the best solution. And I'm really glad about that. And also, I think the majority of the people in the group are on e-bike or uh, e-scooters and, and for every person we get out of a car, you know, really helps the city and also helps to get things moving.
0: Be nice to see like a, a I don't know what you'd call it, like a cooperative, collective alternative to the big companies.
4: One thing that the companies are not going to do is, is they won't really necessarily train you for all the things you go through, you experience in, in every day when you're doing delivery. So kind of just teach you what needs to be done. We need you to get this from point A to point B. And they'll give you little tips like keep the food hot or be respectful and just very simple, general rules. And that's it. We're independent contractors. So I guess it was our responsibility to figure it out. I've been doing this for five years and it took me a very long time to kind of get to where I'm at, where I have the confidence and the tools and to like go out there and make pretty decent money. And with the group, it accelerates people's progress. Because like Ali mentioned, people go in there and there's a lot of pitfalls that you know you'll avoid just by asking questions or just by hearing people talk about something they experienced because of you know they didn't lock their bike you know they turn around and they're going there for 10 seconds and come back and the bike's gone someone will talk about that and it's just kind of like a date of reminder in that community where like hey guys don't get comfortable don't get complacent lock your stuff up um be careful and just things like that and that's that's what kranko is but is that they're not directly connected to the apps you know it's just like that that community
0: So it's a Facebook page, Facebook group. Is it also on like other platforms?
4: There's a crankhustle.com website. Me and Ali were actually talking about that the other day. I want to kind of add more to the the Crank Hustle uh, website, more like a a quick beginners, um, like maybe the first, the top 10 tips when you're starting and things like that. So we're going to expand that website to make it more interactive so people can Mm -hmm. join and kind of have conversations on there.
0: So both the words crank and hustle seem to come from bike scene.
4: Yes. Cr- crank, like the word crank is just like that, uh, you know, the crank of a bike, you know, like uh, well, what you're basically doing is just pushing that crank all day. And, uh, you got to hustle through the streets, hustle through the, through the, th- so the thing about this, we don't get paid hourly, right? The way you make money is per delivery. So naturally the more deliveries you get done, the more uh, output you can get out of your day. Um, and that's where the efficiency part comes in and the, and the hustling part. So it's just putting in that energy into your crank and then, you know, hustling through, and and that's kind of where it started. That's basically what it is. You know, you're using your bike to make yourself some money.
0: So you see people who are affiliated with crank hustle often on the street.
4: It's been, it's still becoming more common. There, it's it's um in LA. I do see people. I usually recognize them because they have the the backpack, the safe backpack, and then sometimes they'll have like the the crank hustle sticker or or like a, a keychain or I make these air fresheners. You know, so like. It's just like a logo. Once you recognize it, you'll be like, oh, he's part part of the group. And then a lot of people kind of start conversations like that. Like, hey, what's up, man? Like, you know, what's your name? Because usually people have uh, a username or something. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of of like, hey, what's your username on there? So, yeah, it kind of does uh, help us kind of speak to each other a bit more or or give us a little bit more confidence. Because like Ali's saying, we'll we'll, kind of see each other in the stores, but we'll kind of ignore each other. Like, all right, kind of just go about our day. So I know there's been instances where like, Hey, there goes, there's a logo. There's a crank logo, logo. Like, hey, what's up, man? Like, so it kind of opens it up. Um, That's kind of,
0: so it's not just bikes though. Cause you said air freshener. So it's also,
4: th- those are just kind of for like kind of play It's kind of just like playful stuff just to kind of like the-, the air freshener came out of a joke because uh, you know, when you're riding a bike or anything on two wheels and you have an air freshener on there, it's just yeah. hilarious bouncing around. You're really not really doing anything. It's just, it's just right there hanging. So I could imagine drivers looking over and they just see the black eyes air freshener hanging with the pine thing. And they're like,
0: that is, is hilarious. Really <laughs>
4: but, like, obviously not, but just for kicks. So it kind of started as a joke. And now that I made some air, like, crank Hustle logo air fresheners, it's got that scent and everything. So it's kind of funny.
0: That's just also a perfect irony, you know, that, you know, it, it's sort of pointing out one of the things you can live without when you have a bike is a uh, air freshener. You're full-time delivering.
4: I've been doing it full-time for about three years. Mm-hmm. I was doing it part-time. I've had a couple of jobs as a bike messenger, sold phones at a, at a cell phone shop. It was scary trying to go into all in full-time, but once you kind of figure out that you can actually make decent money, you just apply yourself and you, you set yourself up, you get the right, you know, your right vehicle, the right tools, you work in the right area. You can make way more money than that. Uh, traditional at least the jobs that i had
0: when you I'm say right vehicle what's the right vehicle
4: your vehicle always is gonna be depending on the on the area you're in like for example like i work in downtown los angeles perfect vehicle is because it's a you know it's a metro area and um there's very limited parking um there's traffic obviously like those places you want to get around quickly so the ideal vehicle for that will be a bicycle an e-bike you know a, a moped or anything two wheels where you could squeeze around a scooter mm-hmm. a skateboard you know, some people even do walking they do deliveries of walking but so you got to yeah. adapt to that like if, if you live somewhere else where it's more spread out like a suburb or obviously a car would be better and if the weather is really really bad then a car would be ideal but two wheels always dominates like it's always the best it's always yeah. the best because your expenses are a lot lower and you can get around a lot faster and, you know, it just it just makes more sense doing deliveries on a bike.
5: I have a lot of uh, members in New York City and they seem to be about 90 percent on e-bikes. And I mean, they're actually out there when it's like in the snow and in the rain. They're, they're pretty hardcore. OK. I thought it was a L.A. thing.
4: Oh, it's a uh, it's a it's a group. Most of the people are from the United States, it's people from all over the world. Oh. Uh, there's people in the UK, um, Canada, um, Puerto Rico. I know this because that's where I send out backpacks and, and kits and holders. I'm like, whoa, like there's a market out there. That's crazy. But it is it is a lot all over the world. Got some guy from South Africa one time. He showed us his setup. Like he's hustling, man. He's hustling on his bike. He's killing it. And, you know, they probably don't have the best uh, um, infrastructure out there, but, you know, no excuses, man. I like to say that a lot in the, in the group. It's like, you know we can't say, we can't bring up excuses here. We're here to we're here to grind it out and make it make it work any way we can. So yeah, there's people from all over the world in the group.
0: Are you at the point where you're advocating for infrastructure? Would that help? Not that that would be your main thing or even part of your thing, but are you thinking about it?
4: I, I definitely do advocate for it. I have seen also the improvements that that have been made in my particular city, like in downtown LA, and I see how much it benefits us that we do this on two wheels. Like, it, it just makes it safer and uh, we have to worry a little bit less that day Cause since there's already kind of a lot of things we're concentrating or thinking about where we're going, the food we have, and then the last thing we want to like worry about is getting hit by a car. So yeah, I definitely advocate for it. I'm all in for it. Definitely.
0: I've been following the uh, New York City Delivery Workers unionizing. Have you been following uh,
4: I haven't as much. But we would like to get more
0: involved. It almost sounds like you are kind of a union-ish kind of a,
4: <laughs> right?
0: So, I don't know, but it's social. I,
4: I would I would say
5: that as far as like the support that we get is like nine hundred percent more than the support we would get from the apps. Like the apps are uh, almost little to no help when you're starting. It's like you said they might they might tell you you know make sure you get there on time or get it there fast, but other than that, uh, you you almost never hear from the apps un, unless you've done something wrong. And uh, the support you get from the group also helps you to avoid making those mistakes where you might get deactivated or, or uh, punished by the apps. Like I said, they're really not very supportive. And uh, I would val- i place the value of this group like so so much higher than anything I've gotten from the apps.
0: Wait, had you started Ali before you got involved with crying Coswell?
5: Yeah, I was I was delivering. Delivering with a car, doing, I was actually doing like Instacart and DoorDash. Like I said, I started, I started experimenting with my motorbike and uh, there was like no support out there for that. And the apps almost seemed like they discouraged you from doing that. When I found Wilstress Group, I just had like this wealth of knowledge of like all these people that have like gone through what I'm going through before me. So I could like kind of just leapfrog up like three levels just by watching the videos and reading what other people are posting.
0: You get the, the wisdom from the videos mainly and, and people's posts.
5: I think both. People are posting all day about like something that's gone wrong or something that went really good. And then other people will comment on how they resolved it or how they dealt with it or, you know, what their solutions are. It's sort of a self-regulating group, but everyone kind of supports each other. Cause we also all know that we're out, we're basically out there risking our lives. And, uh, you know, we really need support. We don't need more criticism.
4: Yeah. yeah, preventive measures is like the best thing. You know, it's like, that's what I always try to like think of worst case scenarios when I'm out there and uh, just, you know, try to prevent those things from happening. Maybe a little paranoid-ish because, you know, like then I start thinking about GPS trackers and alarms and, and chain and W locks and, and, uh, and, you know, all these self-defense things. But is there all preventive measures? Um, what I did want to say too is. Um, in the group, there is a lot of people who join that are currently doing deliveries in a car, but they found an interest in either one of my videos or someone else. They're thinking of switching to two wheels because they're probably tired of how expensive it is. Like I have a car, I just got a car like a, a year ago because I needed one. I needed stuff to, to move things around. I really didn't want one. I, had, I didn't have a car for like eight years, but I finally did. And I I tried doing deliveries sometimes because, you know, it just got really cold or, i just didn't want to ride or or whatever and it's just so expensive for gas and it's getting more expensive so it really doesn't help so i know these guys experience the same thing and then when they see us just kind of going in and out real quick we're not really stressed out about parking we just really pull up some of us quite literally just roll up in the restaurant with their bike they get that interest right so they join the group and they're just trying to ask questions trying to figure out what's going to be the best and a lot of guys have made the jump they just kind of ditched their car altogether, together and they just start going all in with e-bikes or a bike or a scooter or electric scooter and that's good to see that's dope i'm like man that's one less car off the road and you're going to make more money
5: you know in fact we're making as much or more than people in a car with, with little or no overhead
0: right when you're mentioning you know people are riding these e-bikes a couple thousand dollar bikes uh, constantly going into restaurants that's to me, seems like a, a big concern.
4: It is. For, for me, it's actually uh, I had an e-bike with like dual batteries and it's a, it's a really expensive e-bike. And that thing was just always in the back of my mind. I had a tracker in there. I, I got a chain and uh, I, I got the alarm for it. So someone tampers with it. It gives you like a little warning. Dun, dun, oh, right. Yeah. I mean, even if you have all these things it's just, it really just adds a little bit more time to the theft, to the thief. And then it, I do think about that all the time, because these guys are getting better. And and then they, they're starting to realize more with the popular e-bikes, they're starting to see like the value of them, right? And they're starting to recognize which ones are the more popular ones and which ones are the, are the ones that they can probably like fix later or, you know, use the key to turn them on and So yeah, it's kind of like a fear of us, of course, anyone that owns a bike, but yeah, we do talk about like preventive measures, but it still happens, man. And it's crazy because people that just commute, they usually just park their bike somewhere and, or maybe they find a secure place with food deliveries. It's like, you never know where you're going to lock your bike up. You you never know where where the address is going to be or what building or what area. And that's kind of the, the, the kind of the thing we talk about, like preventive measures and what locks to use and. I think about it all the time, man. Like it's just it's just in the back of my mind like all day.
0: So do you have these archived by topic? Like, you know, how how to do how to deal with this situation, troubleshooting, frequently asked questions?
4: I have a few and there's some in the group. I'm in the works to come up with a series to kind of go in depth with each question and each topic. Mm-hmm. And then just share all the knowledge that I that I've come from my experience, but also with the knowledge of, of what the group like has uh, expressed. So I just want to narrow those down and put them in the group or the website and just focus on like, for example, just bike the, and then just preventive measures and different tools and that people have used and what has worked, what hasn't. It's in the works, but we just talk about it in, in the group. Can
0: you give us the details for YouTube and website again?
4: Wilcer well, is just a W I L C E R. And that's basically it. it, it should pop up with that. And that's where I have like my videos of me documenting. Uh, recording the deliveries, kind of showing people like what's possible to make and just basically documenting the entire day of a food delivery courier. I think on <laughs> crankhustle.com at the
5: bottom, there's also links to the Instagram and Facebook pages.
4: Cool.
5: Is, is there any other
0: groups like yours that you know of in the world?
4: They're, they're there, but some of them are like really big groups. Like there's like, they're very concentrated groups, like just for like DoorDash. Then there's groups for just Girlhood and they're massive groups, right? They don't have the same uh thing, same community. You post something and they just start finding flaws in your, or just, you know, just because you're a beginner and you ask the most simple question, you, you get bombarded with people just not saying really nice things, you know, not really being supportive. I get that advice from other groups. I'm sure they can agree to that one. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it's great that you're there for people just starting out and
5: transitioning. And
4: I really do believe this is like one of the best ways to get people out of their cars.
5: Right. On. I could just say one of the most impressive and touching things is we've seen we've seen numerous people that are experiencing homelessness or near homelessness join the group. And actually they'll they'll pick up a used bike or even just use like a bird scooter and go from that. And we've watched them go all the way from that to now they have apartments or you know, they've got they've gotten a nice e-bike. And I see this over going over again. It's really inspiring to see that what he's presenting is giving people the tools to pull themselves out of that situation.
0: It's a really great thing that's that's happening and that you're a vehicle for.
4: Yeah, there's those there's stories, uh, success stories that, that are really nice for people to share, like the homelessness thing. And I think that's one of the things, besides getting people out of cars and getting into their Mount Two Wheels, The no excuses mentality is like you get what you can and you use that to get yourself out of the situation you're in. That's why this group is like, we don't attack you, we don't put you down. It's like, whatever you got, cool, man. Here's some tips and you know, some encouragement. It goes a long way for some folks, and that, that's pretty dope.
0: That was Wilser and Ali Lexa representing Crank Hustle. Now we'll play a discussion with Andrew DeFrank in Washington, D.C., and Rihanna in Philadelphia. Andrew tweeted a video of bikes moving on a protected bike lane next to cars stalled in an adjacent lane. The tweet went viral. Rihanna quoted Andrew's tweet and that went viral too. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Rihanna. I have you here to talk about your tweets. Sure. And Rihanna, can you pronounce your Twitter handle?
6: My Twitter handle is at krilltusk.
0: Oh, I didn't even know that one, but the one that is like your name on Twitter.
6: Oh, my display name, it's Barstool Kaled. Kaled is an area in the game Elden Ring. Okay. So it's like a joke. I am not an actual Barstool <laughs> account, despite what some people in my mentions seem to think.
3: When I first
7: saw it, I briefly thought it was real. And I was like, wait, oh no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is a Barstool account?
6: Uh, I feel like that's a whole can of worms that we could take a whole podcast episode on. It's basically like an aggressively masculine sports like news account.
7: It's a toxic masculinity suite of web services masquerading as a sports website.
0: All right. And so when you put that together with Calid, what do you end up with?
6: Well, it's a joke because in the video game Elden Ring, Kalid is this hellish landscape, so Barstool is also like hell. You double know. hell. Yeah, double hell.
0: But you're also into bikes. Yes. And are a lot of your tweets about bikes?
6: Not really. I do appreciate bikes, but I'm more of a pedestrian and public transportation head. I would describe myself as I'm more of a a casual biker, but I do tweet a lot about kind of infrastructure, public transit in Philadelphia.
0: Great. Because we have Andrew who works in the field.
6: Okay, great.
0: Andrew, you're in bus planning or something in DC. Is that right? Yeah. I'm a transportation planner, but in my
7: personal time, I'm just really passionate about public transit, biking, walking, all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. In DC specifically, which is where I'm from.
0: Cool. And so you tweeted this tweet and that's why I noticed you both. And it got over 30,000 likes and it was about just a bike lane and a lane of traffic. You want to talk about it?
7: Yeah. So coming home from work with some friends and we did a little diversion to see the cherry blossoms that was like peak bloom day which is sort of a rite of spring in dc and coming home like the normal way i bike home i usually bike to work when it's nice out otherwise i take the metro and there were a lot of people out part because of the cherry blossoms and part because it was a nice day and in part because the city built a great bike lane people couldn't use and it was just a really stark juxtaposition All the cars on the right were in a travel lane and were just stopped in gridlock. And there's probably about double the number of people walking or biking than there are in the row of cars in the 20 seconds of the video. And so I took a few photos that day because it was such a nice day. And I took that video because it was such a cool juxtaposition. And I thought I'd want to share that because it was kind of an inspiring testament to what happens when you build safe bike lanes that people feel like they can use, even if they're not super experienced. What made it safe? This is on 15th Street Northwest near the White House, kind of passing Pennsylvania Avenue, heading north toward the White House complex. It's separated from car traffic, either with more temporary materials like rubber wheel stops and white flex posts, or in other places now, they've been upgraded to these really nice, sturdy, precast concrete curbs, basically, to provide continuous protection. It's one of the oldest protected bike lanes in DC, and it's also one of the most well-used because it's very difficult for cars to drive into it. And they're obviously not
0: supposed to anyway. And does it connect to other lanes that people can use?
7: Yeah, the 15th Street lanes extend all the way up to Malcolm X Park, which is kind of at the top of the old row house part of Washington. And there's a lot of people that live basically on either side of it as it heads through a residential part of the city toward the White House. And then... It connects to several standard bike lanes, not protected bike lanes that are still pretty well used. And then it also connects right where I was taking the video to Pennsylvania Avenue, which has a center running protected bike lane heading to the Capitol. And in the last six months or so, the National Park Service and the DC government sort of worked together to extend the 15th street lane south from where it ended at Pennsylvania Avenue all the way down to the Tidal Basin, which obviously was really helpful this spring with the cherry blossoms, which is where everyone's flocking to. So yeah, it connects to some other great lanes and it's sort of like this original spine from 2010-ish when it was first built uh, and other stuff's popped up around it since. So DC is good for biking, would you say? Um, it's relatively good. There's a really long way to go before I would feel comfortable just saying that without any caveats.
0: So Rihanna, this is all music to your ears, of course. As sure. And so you quote tweeted it and can you tell us what you said?
6: So Andrew's tweet went viral. I also have a lot of friends in DC, so came up in my feed. I was reading through the replies and just noticing how angry and defensive people were getting in the replies. Um, just totally out of hand. I mean, it's Twitter, so of course.
0: Okay. What were people saying?
6: <laughs> I have to bring the tweet up. I feel like you can kind of see these same things over and over again and people they're always like oh we need cars or it's always you haven't considered every single possible scenario of why someone would not necessarily be able to ride a bike or just outright aggressive like you deserve to be a smear on the sidewalk whatever the whole gamut of things i don't know if you want to get into specifics that's okay (laughs) based off of that i tweeted we need a slur for people who love cars (laughs) just very tongue-in-cheekly and did not expect it to get that much traction but people seem to really react to that in both ways
0: well have you come up with any slurs for people who like cars love (sighs) and protect and defend cars
6: one that I saw come up a lot was cagers, which I guess is an older term. But I feel like we need to come up with just a whole new word.
0: How about a gas holes? Just I'm not sure if I made this up.
6: Gas holes? <laughs> that one's pretty good.
0: There's probably a whole list.
6: Yeah, but you know, I just think it should be stigmatized a little more, especially in urban areas where there's no reason to have to drive a car all the time.
0: Yeah, well, it does seem to come down to cities is what we can hope for, right? That's where we can have what we want.
6: And I think that's a big consideration, too, especially since a lot of America is not in urban areas. And there's a lot of places in this country where riding a bike or walking is not necessarily going to be a convenient or useful mode of transportation. So in this realm, we're really only talking about densely populated urban areas,
0: well, you got more likes than Andrew's original tweet.
6: Yeah, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> All
0: good. <laughs> no worries. So, it's on now. Did either of you get this many tweets on other tweets that you've tweeted?
6: Um, I actually have had a couple public transportation related tweets that have gotten a lot of traction. I had one about trains earlier. And it's funny because I see basically the same replies every time this happens. And it's always people defending cars tooth and nail. It's really crazy because I just see the same things over and over again also had a tweet that was smash that like if you love the worm part of the bus with a picture of the worm part of the bus because I love those. The bendy? Yeah, part. the bendy part of the bus. I don't know what the technical term is. Maybe Andrew knows.
7: It's an articulated bus.
6: Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thank you.
7: <laughs> but what's the part that's articulated called? Oh, yeah. I don't know that exactly. I think we usually call it the accordion. Oh. Yeah. But I don't think that's a technical <laughs> term. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I saw that, Rihanna, the worm part of the bust. Yeah. So you got some good tweets there. Andrew, is this your first entry into virality?
7: I think I've had a few that are like not this viral, but have gotten some likes. I usually tweet mostly about stuff happening in DC specifically. With that one tweet, I sort of thought it would be fun to kind of just spread this really cool moment, maybe as generically as possible. But yeah, usually it's more sort of DC specific.
0: What do you think it means, though, that people are reacting like this to transportation policy tweets? Do you think that this is a hopeful sign?
7: Yeah, I think that the thing that was sort of most interesting to me or inspiring was how many people from different cities in the U.S. and in parts of the world were quote tweeting it. I saw people in Germany and Japan and another country in Europe quote tweet it and tag members of their own government, basically Mm. saying like, why can't we have this here? (laughs) Which is obviously funny because in the U.S. we're usually doing that. To other countries. And that was also the case in lots of different US cities. And I think that speaks to the fact that there's like a real pent up demand for getting around without having to drive a dangerous two ton metal box just to get home from work or get milk or coffee or something. There's a lot of people out there who want to live in places where that's possible. And so I think it's really wonderful that in the US capital there's an example of how you can do that cheaply and relatively quickly.
0: So that's a good trip. That's a good destination. Yeah. And maybe they have some of these long rail trails that can go from other places on the East Coast so we can all bike there.
6: I would just say I would agree with that. I've been noticing a lot more recently there seems to be a lot more demand and calling for having safe, walkable communities, being able to walk or bike to the store, just being able to have alternative modes of transportation that are not driving a car and not having to worry about dying when you use them. Because especially my experiences in Philadelphia, walking and biking have been kind of bad. I did get in a wreck on my bike a year or so ago, which I ended up being fine physically, but it was just kind of traumatizing and I've actually kind of avoided biking since then just because it's scary. I don't want it to happen again. But even just walking down the street every day when I walk, people very aggressively will not stop, will not let you have right of way, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just really frustrating. And I think a lot of people are feeling that frustration more and more now.
0: Yeah, I guess, especially in cities, you could say, because there's just this hopelessness outside of cities.
6: Yeah, I would say primarily in cities, but I think that's just mostly because in suburbia, it's actually impossible to walk or bike anywhere just because there's zero infrastructure for it.
7: Yeah, there's a lot that can be done in small towns with urban centers or villages like they call them in some parts of new england but you can see the path to the more sustainable safer transportation system anywhere where there's any kind of walking infrastructure already you can much more easily see how you can make it safe but in some suburban communities there's literally no sidewalks
0: anything else that we should be looking at as a topic of study along these lines
7: yeah something i was thinking about on that bike ride is how surrounding me in the video were mostly office buildings, obviously, the White House and things like that, some hotels, very few residential buildings. And downtown DC, there's a lot of anxiety right now about whether downtown DC sort of stay a ghost town after COVID with remote work. And thinking about housing and how sort of building more housing, especially affordable housing near where we've already built a transportation system that's simple and efficient, has a lot of benefits. And there's clearly demand to be in those areas. So that's something I always try to think about is connecting the housing issue to transportation.
0: Yeah. I'm hearing that. At least one of our co-hosts is working on interviews about land use and biking. Totally. Rihanna, any thoughts as we're heading toward a wrapping up of this?
6: Yeah, I guess just trying to stay hopeful for the future. I think Philly definitely has a long way to go as far as creating safe infrastructure for biking and all that. And it feels really frustrating at times because it seems like things are moving very slowly. And there's always a lot of pushback from residents everything from we need more parking spaces to bike lanes our gentrification the whole gamut so i'm hopeful for the future
0: that was andrew dufrank and rihanna and that was it for this episode of bike talk if you want to hear more episodes check out biketalk.org you can email us there we're live on valley free radio sundays 11 a.m eastern and we repeat tuesdays at 3 p.m podcast is available at kpfk and biketalk.org get on your bike sit on the seat
5: push
1: your feet on the pedals and run around run around get on your
5: bike sit on the seat push your feet on the pedals and run all around run all around get that, that car out of my way i want to ride my bike
2: To get yourself
1: a bike Oh, cat yourself a bag. Oh, catch yourself a bag, oh, cat yourself a bag.